Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse number 24, and let's look at the word of the Lord this morning. Matthew 17, verse 24, And when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take custom or taxes, from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money there. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Uh, This morning, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, the miracle catch. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor it's a miracle catch. Amen. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are good today. You're gracious. Thank you for these wonderful people who have gathered in your name today. We pray that your word would go forth in power and your word would go forth in boldness. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Amen. The miracle catch. Some time ago, I don't know if you remember, but some time ago McDonald's promoted a Monopoly game where you had the chance of winning $1 million. How many remembers that? That was several years ago. I think it was a ploy for you to eat more french fries. What do you all think? And if you notice on that game, if you look on the back of those french fries or that apple pie or that Diet Coke or that Coke, whatever you're drinking, if you look on the back of it, if you took the time to read the official rules of the Monopoly game, you would find out that your chances of winning that $1 million was 1 in 518 billion. That's... That's not very good odds, is it? How many knows you would have to eat lots and lots of French fries, quarter pounders, you get the point. So your odds of winning is not very good. Well today, ladies and gentlemen, maybe you come into the house of God, maybe you're heavy hearted today, and maybe you feel like the odds are stacked up against you. Maybe you look at your life and the odds are so stacked up against you that you feel as though there is no way of escape or no freedom. Maybe you are here this morning and you are losing hope and your candle is, so to speak, burning out. Or perhaps you are facing a financial mountain of debt that it seems impossible for you to climb. Or maybe this morning you are in a situation that is so helpless, so hopeless, that it seems like a solution would absolutely be a miracle and you don't even see that in your near future. Maybe you are in a situation this morning that seems so impossible for you to even imagine that God could meet your need. Well, I want to encourage you this morning because I'm a Bible preacher and I've read the Bible this morning and I know that when God gets involved... He has a tendency of turning your mourning into dancing. When he gets involved, God has a way of turning your sorrow into joy, your beauty for ashes. He has a way of changing your garment, uh, your spirit of heaviness and giving you a garment of praise. When God gets involved, and it doesn't matter what the odds are that are against you, 
It doesn't matter what Las Vegas says your odds are. It doesn't matter what so-called experts says your odds are. If he gets involved, you have a chance this morning, ladies and gentlemen. You have a chance. And not only do you have a chance, but you have a Bible chance through faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Our text this morning reveals how we serve a miracle-working God. Our text reveals that when you read the story, how God is a miracle-working God. And in this story about the miracle catch, an odd miracle, a miracle that uh, is different than all the other miracles in the Bible, how God told Peter, who was concerned about paying taxes, and Jesus said, I want you to go fishing. And the first fish that you catch, I want you to open its mouth, and there's going to be a piece of money there to take care of my tax and your tax as well. That's a miracle. It's an odd miracle. But this miracle demonstrates to you and I today how we serve a miracle-working God. That it doesn't matter what the odds are that are against you. If you have faith and belief in Christ alone, you can receive a miracle. There are four facts that I want to bring out about this miracle, and I want you to pay close attention. Four facts about this miracle that's found in this story that I just read to you. Number one, fact number one, God knows what you have need of even before you ask Him. God knows our needs even before we ask Him. Did you pay attention to the Scripture? The Bible says, look at it, Matthew 17 and verse number 25, or look at 24. They came to Capernaum, and those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now guess what happens, verse 25. Simon Peter said yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? So stop here. Jesus was inside of the house. Simon Peter was outside of the house having a conversation about taxes. Peter walks into the house and Jesus already knew what the conversation was. This miracle demonstrates to us that Jesus understood or he was aware of the conversation even though Jesus wasn't there. That proves to me the deity of Jesus. That Jesus is not only man 100%, but Jesus is also God 100%. Jesus understood. He was aware of the conversation before Peter ever opened up his mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad that we serve a God who is not only sympathizes with our humanity, but he also can deliver us from our weaknesses as well. Can I hear an amen? He is God and he is man all wrapped up in one person. Jesus understood. Jesus was aware of the conversation. That proves to me that even now, He is aware of our needs even before we ask Him. You see, sometimes we think that the purpose of praying is to somehow inform God of our needs. We believe that God is ignorant of our needs and He's too busy and He's counting the hairs on people's heads and so therefore He doesn't have time for us. But Jesus is clear about this. Jesus stood up and told His disciples in Matthew 6 and verse 8, Jesus said this, the Father knows what you have need of even before you ask. Matthew 6, 8. Jesus was very clear that the Father knows what you have need of even before you ask. 
You see, the purpose of praying is not to inform God about what's going on in your life. But the purpose of praying is that we pray because we believe it makes a difference. God already knows what you have need of. He already knows your heart. He already knows what is troubling you. I believe that the scripture is true. That the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We pray because the scripture tells us to pray. Because when we pray, we acknowledge that we cannot fix it ourselves. And there is only one person that can fix it, and that is God. He already knows what you have need of. He already knows the trouble. He already knows what's coming against you. He already knows what you're going through. Prayer is only a picture of us humbling ourselves before God and depending upon God and realizing that within myself and within my resources, I don't have it to fix my own problem. So when we cry out to him, we are acknowledging that there is only one person that can really take care of it, and it is God himself. He already knows what you have need of. He already knows what you have need of. One of my favorite stories of God's provision, and I have read this story to you before. It's, I'm sure you're aware of it because it's a, it's a story I think I've... I've I've uh, talked about it one other time. I think it was last year. But I, uh, I want to tell the story again because I think it's appropriate. And uh, it's, I, I love this story. Every time I read it, I'm encouraged by it because it, it demonstrates God's provision for His people. It's the story of Dallas Theological Seminary. And it was founded in 1924, Dallas Theological Seminary. And throughout its history, it's almost had to shut down several times. The creditors had come to Dallas Theological Seminary, and uh, uh, President Lewis Schaefer was actually the president of the, the seminary at the time. And uh, President Schaefer was notified from the bookkeeper that they had zero money, no money to make payroll. And uh, this problem had been progressing for quite some time, and it was getting worse. They used all of their savings, and so uh, they were thinking about calling a meeting and you know, they didn't know what to do, whether to shut down. But President Schaefer was a man of prayer. So he gathered together all of his faculty and staff into the office, and they began to pray. And one of the people that was in the office was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary by the name of Dr. Harry Ironside. And as they grabbed hands in the office and they began to pray, Dr. Harry Ironside, which was a professor, he began to lead the prayer, and he said this, Lord... We know that you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Will you please sell one of them and send us the money? As they were praying and said the last amen, they all went to their offices. And in the meantime, a Texas businessman, right after the prayer, stepped in, or excuse me, as they were praying, as they were praying, a Texas businessman stepped into the seminary office and, and said to the secretary that was outside of the office as they were praying. He said, I just sold two carloads of cattle in Fort Worth, and I somehow feel compelled off of the highway to stop and give the money to the seminary. The, the seminary secretary became so nervous that she started to shake because she knew that the faculty was praying for a miracle behind the closed doors. She, she went to the door, knocked on the door, as she is shaking, and she had the check. They opened the door as if they were irritated because they were still praying. And she said, Dr. Schaefer, some man just gave me this check. 
Dr. Schaefer opened the check and it was the exact amount that they needed to not only pay payroll, but pay the seminary off. What are you saying? I'm saying it doesn't matter what the odds are that are against you. If you believe in him, I'm telling you, he can turn it around. He, Dr. Ironside, in the meeting, turned to Dr. Schaefer and said, or Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Schaefer turned to Dr. Harry Ironside and said, Harry, God just sold the cattle. What are you saying? I'm saying that without God, what is the chances of that happening? Without God, it's one in 518 billion. But with God, it's one in one. Because he already knew the needs of Dallas Theological Seminary before the faculty ever met to pray. And you know what he did? God rearranged and arranged for that businessman to sell that cattle even before those people started praying. Why? Because we serve a miracle working God. He already knows what you have need of before you pray. I'm telling you, Christ's point, the cattle are coming and He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Hallelujah! Number two, God controls events that we can't control. After Jesus revealed to Peter that he already knew what he had need of, he told Peter, I want you to go fishing, Peter, and the first fish that you catch, I want you to open its mouth and take the money from it. Now, let me ask you a question. Out of all of the ways that God could provide, why would he provide this way? I mean, couldn't? God in His providence and sovereignty have someone come and just pay the tax for Peter? Why did Peter have to go fishing and catch the money? Get the money out of the fish's mouth. Isn't there an easier way to get money than that? Isn't there an easier way for God to provide than to go fishing and catch the fish and get the money out of its mouth? And of course, ladies and gentlemen, there is. But this story demonstrates to us that he controls events that we cannot control. Peter had no control over the fish that he would catch. All he could do was hold on to the fishing pole and throw the hook into the sea and trust the words of Jesus. And he had to trust that the right fish with the right hook would catch the right hook at the right amount of time. You see, Peter had to trust in what Jesus said, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. That's why God did it this way. He wanted Peter, Peter, are you going to trust me no matter how ridiculous it sounds? I want you to go fishing, and I want you to get some money out of the fish's mouth. That is ridiculous. Sounds absurd. But yet, Jesus is teaching Peter to trust him. Trust me, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to walk with God, there comes a time in your life that you just have to trust Him because you can't figure everything out. You have to trust Him when you can't trace Him. When it looks like the blackness of midnight is in front of you and you don't see the light of day, you've got to trust Him. You've got to trust Him when you can't trace Him. You've got to trust Him. 
Ladies and gentlemen, do we not believe the Word of God today? Do we not believe that He is able to keep us from falling? Do we not, do we not believe that He's able to keep you and to provide for you? Or don't we believe that He's able to restore? Don't we believe that Jesus said all things are possible to Him that believeth? I want you to imagine being that little fish underwater trying to locate the right hook in the entire sea. Now we read this miracle and we think it's a great miracle, but just really think about it. There had to be one fish in the entire sea moving in the water, and I'm sure other people were fishing that day. I'm sure Peter wasn't the only one that went fishing. And you're telling me that that fish got a hold of the right hook and it was Peter's hook in the entire sea. Not only that, but that same fish was swimming in the sea and somebody was fishing the day before and they stuck their hand in their pocket and a coin fell out of the man's hand and it went to the bottom of the sea. And that same little fish was fishing at the bottom of the sea and grabbed a hold of the coin. And the next day when Peter was fishing, that fish who had the coin in its mouth caught the right hook in the entire sea. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a miracle-working God. We serve a miracle-working God. The providence of God was working on that fish. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a God who is given to detail. Hallelujah. We serve a God who, who, who specializes in the details of our miracle. You're praying for a miracle, but you don't know what He's doing on the other side of your miracle. You don't know the hearts that He's working on. You're praying for a job. You're praying for an increase. You're asking the Lord, Lord, get a hold of my, get a hold of my boss, Lord, and Speak to him, Lord. But you don't understand that God's working on his heart. Maybe he has a marriage that's failing. And so God has to work on his heart because he's overcome with marital issues. And maybe because he's overcome with marital issues because his wife has had abuse growing up. You see, there's all kinds of issues that the Holy Spirit has to work on to get your miracle. You've got to be patient with God. You've got to let God have control. You've got to take your hands off of it and let God have control because He controls events that you cannot control. And since He is a gentleman and you are a free agent, He can't make you do anything you don't want to do. And that's why it takes time for God to work. Hallelujah. Aren't we not serving God this morning that enabled Abraham to father Isaac when it was humanly impossible? Are we not serving a God that led three million Jews out of the land of Egypt? Are we not serving a God that parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel and led them through on dry ground? Are we not serving a God that can shut the mouths of lions for the prophet Daniel? Are we not serving a God who is the fourth man in life's fiery furnace? Are we not serving a God that can calm the winds and the waves of our life? 
Are we not serving a God that can take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 men and women? I'm telling you, if Baal is God, let's worship him. But if God is God, let's stand and acknowledge that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah! We serve a miracle-working God. A situation that seems impossible with men is simply an opportunity for God. Hallelujah. Number three, God's timing is perfect. Just as we have misapprehended God's thoughts and misunderstood God's sovereignty, we miscalculate His timing. We live in a microwave society where we want everything right now. And we want God to work like McDonald's, but God doesn't work at McDonald's. We become impatient, and we usually think that God is either late or He's forgotten about us. But let me tell you something. God is always on time. His timing is always perfect. Some of you think that God has forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Peter went to the sea, and he threw out the line. And it was not an accident that the right fish at the right time caught the right hook. Why? Because God had set up, listen to this, God had set up a divine appointment for that fish to meet Peter when he arrived at the correct spot on the sea. That is a miracle. You see, that's how God works. It was no accident that when Saul was looking for his lost donkeys, he met Samuel at the appointed time set by God in 1 Samuel 9 verse 3. The arrow that was shot by a soldier at random had the correct direction and timing to strike the wicked king Ahab, which fulfilled the prophecy of 2 Chronicles 18 verse 6. It was not an accident that Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem for a census at the same time that she was to give birth, fulfilling the prophecy of Micah 5.2. At the exact moment when Peter denied Jesus for the third time, a rooster crowed in the courtyard and fulfilled the prophecy of Matthew 26.74. The well was at the exact spot, the appointed spot in the ocean at the right time to catch Jonah when they threw him overboard in Jonah 1 verse 15. The ram was caught in the thicket at the exact moment when Abraham was getting ready to offer Isaac upon the altar. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we think that God has forgotten about us. But I'm telling you that God is working behind the scenes. That God is rearranging things. God is putting things into order. And when it's the right time, a miracle will show up. When Abraham, when Abraham was walking up the mountain in obedience to the Lord to offer Isaac upon the altar, a ram was walking up the other side of the mountain because God has a way of providing for his people. Abraham didn't even know that as he was walking up the mountain, on the other side of the mountain, a ram was walking up the mountain. God says, I want you to obey me, Abraham. You're not going to sacrifice your son. I'm going to provide a ram, but I want to see if you're going to be obedient to me. And as Abraham was walking up the mountain, a ram was walking up on the other side of the mountain. 
In closing, fact four, God supplies needs to those who obey Him. Jesus told Peter, I want you to throw in the hook into the sea. Now, that's not difficult, is it? But if he never obeyed the Lord, he would have never caught the fish. It is essential that we realize that in the plan of God, that God uses humanity. When the miracles of Jesus occurred in the Bible, in the Gospels, there is one common denominator that you see in the miracles of Jesus, and that is He always used people. Always. He used, He is in conjunction in using people. In order for the wine to be turned, in order for the water to be turned into wine, He told somebody to go get the water pots. For blind Bartimaeus to be healed, He told blind Bartimaeus to leave aside your coat and come and follow me. He works with people. If we sit around thinking that God's going to do it all, we have missed the point here. God wants you to be obedient. He's asking for your heart. He's asking for your obedience. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse 36, and I quote the words of the writer, Hebrews 10 and verse 36, you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. After you have done the will of God. After you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. In other words, God works with people. You must walk in His will. You must be obedient in what you know to do. You may be here this morning and say, Pastor, I don't know what to do with my life. I have prayed about things. I've asked God for things. And yet, it seems like heaven is brass. Ladies and gentlemen, do what you know to do. Do what you know to do. It may look bleak. It may look like nothing's changing, but do what you already know to do. Walk in the will of God that you already know to do. And when you fulfill the will of God, you will receive the promise of God. You see, as you walk, He works. As you walk, He works. Continue to walk. Do what you know to do. All of God's promises was conditioned upon something that man had to do. We are co-laborers together with God. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. You've got to work with God. They labor in vain. He will build, but you've got to do something. Noah, there's rain that's going to come. But Noah, there's a part that you've got to play. play. I want you to build the ark. Noah was obedient and he built the ark. God sent the rain. He built, God sent the rain. Build your life. Be faithful. Do what you already know to do. Continue to build. Walk in the way that you know to walk in. Walk in His Word. Let God do the rest. And I promise you, He will. And there will be a time that you'll look back and you'll see how God has put the pieces of the puzzle together. That's what God is doing right now. He's putting the pieces of the puzzle together and you don't even know it. He is, God is the master designer. Have you ever seen a tapestry? In the front of it, there's a beautiful you know, picture or painting or a quilt. The picture is beautiful. But if you ever look on the back of it, it, it just it looks like a mess. 
And, and that's, I mean, there's all kinds of colors and it doesn't even look like it goes together. But if you flip it around, it's a beautiful picture. Because that's our life, folks. Right now, it doesn't look good. The tapestry that he's painting, all you are seeing is the back side of it. And it doesn't make sense. One day, it's going to be flipped. And you won't see all these years what God was doing in your life. So I encourage you folks, keep moving on. Keep doing what you know to do. Be encouraged. Be strengthened of the Holy Spirit. The best days are ahead of us. Hallelujah. Can I, can I, just, can I just prophesy to this church? I said the best days are ahead of us. There may be some messy things here and there, but I know that even in the mess, He's working. Somebody say amen. He's working in my mess. He's working in your mess. And God's going to get the glory. When it's all said and done, He's going to get the glory for it. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, we serve a miracle-working God. Hallelujah. He owns all the diamond mines of South Africa. He owns all the wheat fields of Kansas. He owns all the cornfields of Nebraska. He owns all the orange groves of Florida. He owns all the oil in Kuwait, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's going to take care of you. I promise you. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. You say, well, Pastor, God can't use me. I've, I feel like a failure today. I've prayed for miracles, but the enemy has bombarded me with my own failures and faults. And I think that's the ploy of the enemy. Your mind is the battlefield. The word devil means to throw or to scatter. And you ever felt that way? That things are bombarding your mind and your mind feels so scattered? You know the enemy's at work when he scatters the church because God's plan is together. Diablos, to scatter, to throw. And that's what the enemy does. He throws things at our mind. He scatters our thoughts. And sometimes we feel like we're at the end and because we're wrestling with our own insecurities and we don't see how possible God could ever work for us. But I'm reminded that the Bible has all kinds of people that messed up. You know, Moses was a drunk. And Noah got drunk one time and God used him. Abraham was too old and God used him. Isaac was a daydreamer and God used him. Jacob was a liar and God used him. Leah was ugly. That's what the Bible says. God still used her. I think the Bible says she was cockeyed or something. <laughs> I'm only reading what the Bible says, folks. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering, prob stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson, bless his heart, he would have never made it in the modern day church. He had long hair and he was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. 
Jeremiah and Timothy bless their hearts. They're just too young to do anything for God. David was a, had an affair and committed murder. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep and they couldn't pray. Martha was worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was single and religious. And Lazarus was dead. And God used every one of them. So if you feel... If you feel like you've just messed up your life, you're a great candidate to be used of God. Amen? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Somebody should just rejoice right where you're at. Stand to your feet and give God the biggest shout praise you've given Him all morning because we serve a God that still believes in us. Hallelujah! Hallelujah!